Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're thrilled to have with us a trailblazer who's been redefining the intersection of hard tech, manufacturing, and entrepreneurship, the remarkable Haven Allen. Haven's impressive career is akin to a symphony of innovation. As the CEO and co-founder of M-Hub and the managing partner of the Product Impact Fund, he has been instrumental in breathing life into a stunning 450 startups and empowering 200 manufacturers who have together crafted over 1,200 groundbreaking products. They've been awarded over 410 patents and attracted a whopping $1.3 billion in investments and generated revenues exceeding $750 million. What more? Well, he's also created over 3,900 jobs. Haven is truly a maestro orchestrating an economic renaissance. But his odyssey didn't start there. His roots in economic development run deep. From steering the Advisory Council for Chicagoland Manufacturing at World Business Chicago to serving as an economic development partner with the Peace Corps in Panama, he's always been passionate about fostering growth and job creation in manufacturing. He's a true servant leader. Haven has also made significant contributions in civic engagements, earning him a spot in the coveted Cranes 40 Under 40 in 2018, and recognition in the Chicago Tribune Blue Sky Innovation Blue Network. With his hands firmly on the wheels of boards and advisory councils such as the Chicago Cook County Workforce Partnership and Argonne National Labs Chain Reaction Innovation, Haven continues to steer the ship of change and opportunity. When it comes to education, Haven doesn't just walk the walk, but talks the talk. With a Master of Public Policy, a Certificate in Graduate Studies in Science, Technology, and Public Policy, and now on his way to earn an MBA as a Neubauer Civic Scholar Fellow, Haven's educational background is as illustrious as his career. So fasten your seatbelts, listeners, because today we'll be delving into Haven's treasure trove of experiences, unpacking its secrets to fostering innovation and deciphering the art of leadership that can shape the very fabric of our economy. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Haven Allen. Welcome to the show. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shelly. Thank you, Patrick. (laughs) It's an honor and pleasure to have you on the show today. Absolutely. And Haven, if you don't mind, can you please share with our listeners a little bit more about your role at MHub? Sure. So MHub, we launched this in August of 2016 is when we announced the organization. And at that role, I was a co-founder and was part of the team that helped build the, write the business plan, bring the initial partners together. So groups like GE, Chamberlain, Marmon, Molex, Aero Electronics, so really an industry-led effort. And from there, have been working to build the organization. I mean, initially as a an incubator, we took over a 60,000 square foot facility, opened the doors to now over 275 startups and as well as industry. So there's labs embedded throughout the space and then have continued to evolve to also offer engineering consultant services, really leveraging the power of the 600 engineers in this building to do one-off R&D projects and now leading our venture fund activity. So it's uh, been great to get from writing the plan to now scaling up the organization. That's awesome. I'm curious. I, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, like 
when M-Hub and 1871 and a lot of those really forward-thinking organizations here in Chicago, they all kind of started around the same time, about three to four years after 2008. Yeah. What made that time the time to do this? Because things two years before were, were not super optimistic. The economy wasn't flourishing like it was, you know, all the way to 2020, right, pre-pandemic. Yeah. So is there certain things that you were seeing that you're like, hey, this is the right time for this? That's amazing. During great recessions, it's actually generally a, an amazing time for entrepreneurship. So as people get laid off, they look at the problems that they perceive around the world and try to create market opportunities around those. I know particularly here in Chicago, when you look at like 2009, 10, 11, the rest of the country was starting to reemerge. Businesses mm -hmm. were growing again, but Chicago wasn't. And so like where everybody else was coming out of the Great Recession, we were sort of having flatline and anemic growth. So you had both like the civic business and uh, public sector come together and build a strategy for the Chicagoland region to sort of turbocharge the industry. Entrepreneurship was a key aspect of that. So World Business Chicago, Brookings Institute, uh, RW Ventures, and under two mayors ago, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, really drove this path of let's build you know these tech centers whether it was 1871 there's matter there's m hub there's a mm -hmm. place called hatchery there's also all the focus on building things like the riverwalk and redeveloping union station the mm -hmm. the old post office so making the the live the work the play and creating these sort of collaborations where industry and startups and capital can come together and emerge and hopefully accelerate quickly and, and grow our economy. And it's had some pretty good success. I mean, I would say if you wound the clock back 20 years ago, we were still a nascent entrepreneurship, definitely a very nascent venture capital community. Definitely. But now we're starting to produce exits that that capital is recycling. So, and the leadership is continuing to grow here. And then you ground it all with manufacturing. Chicago's the second largest manufacturing economy in the nation. You would never think about it as such, but we have these like beautiful, diversified nine slices of our manufacturing economy, whether it's med device, computers, or primary metals, or big heavy machinery. And so just a, an amazing supply chain, amazing amount of talent, a lot of wealth here. Now layer in this sort of recycling capital and we'll focus on driving entrepreneurship. It's created some good growth here. So definitely a need, sort of existentialism, but now you organize people, create these assets, and they flourish. And we're old enough to remember the Goose Island effort, right? And like, yeah. from your perspective, was Goose Island just too soon? Or is there something else that's made the M-Hubs, the Matters, 1871s, why have they been successful when Goose Island, a lot of the same kind of approach or intent? Right. What changed between that 1999 and that 2012? Yeah, I mean, Goose Island is continuing on a path. It's in a planned manufacturing district. So it's like hyper-focused on manufacturing. The businesses that come out are probably not as flashy as some of the spot heroes of the world or the <laughs> Sabantos. So... And then I know one of the first efforts when we were trying to build the manufacturing economy was going after something called the National Network of Advanced Manufacturing Institute program, and specifically the one on digital manufacturing and design. Today, you know that center is MXD, 
but it was seeded by a $70 million grant by the federal government, particularly from the DOD, and then supported by GE, Rolls-Royce, Caterpillar. You know, that's an applied research facility. So I'd say they're earlier stage than us. And it's really about how do you get industry to work together in a pre-competitive manner to solve and advance things around productivity, design, innovation. So Mm -hmm. I think the work that they do is just earlier where we're later stage and it's at the scale up point. So yeah, I think Goose Island is definitely emerging and MXD is a leader there in the applied research space. I'm curious, it appears from what I've heard and what I see, there's a bit of a reindustrialization as things with foreign manufacturing capabilities are not as, you know, I think the supply chain issues we all witnessed and challenges with in Southeast Asia when it comes to the manufacturing. There is a reindustrialization going on in the Midwest. Are you seeing that? Is that something that Chicago can seize upon? Absolutely. And I think it's been definitely building for the last 14, 15 years as With global trade and globalization, there were a lot of manufacturing that naturally chased lowest cost, lowest inputs, right? And in doing so, they created greater access, right? Most prices came down. We were able, more people had access to goods. But the price is converging when you look at transportation costs, labor costs, and then you layer in things around risk, around intellectual property. And now with the federal government really seeing it as creating pathways to real livable wage jobs and middle-income jobs and reinvigorating that part of our economy, there's roughly $2 trillion that is going to turbocharge both manufacturing through the CHIPS Act and making sure that we're building at the bleeding edge of technology. So not just look at like high labor input manufacturing, but like cutting edge automation, really smart manufacturing, but then looking at those industries, whether it's quantum, clean energy, grid modernization, and where we want to drive our economy and where naturally technology is going, there's with the IRA, just a a ton of federal resources. So I think there's political will, there's definitely lots of resources. And I think just from communities around seeing how important the factory was in anchoring a community and creating jobs and then witnessing that go away, like the opportunity to bring that back. And, you know, with MHUB, we are relocating. We particularly picked a place that was in a planned manufacturing district. So an area protected in Chicago to ensure that there are manufacturing jobs, but it's also in an opportunity zone, which is came out of like the 2017 federal tax bill, which allows investors that realize capital gains to invest in these zones that need jobs and wealth creation. And they can invest in either startups or real estate. And if they hold those investments for over 10 years, when you exit out, it becomes a tax gain free event. So those programs like that are just really starting to get going. But it was part of uh, our motive to relocate because now I have 270 startups that can qualify here, attract more capital. And then when they grow, they can move into other neighborhoods that need job creation and wealth creation throughout the country, throughout Chicago. And I want to go more into the new facility and and the perspective because you've got the interesting story, like starting with that hyper-local to national to global. Uh, But you did mention the CHIPS Act, and I I think that's a really important thing that I'm not sure everybody's aware of. So could you share a little bit about what the CHIPS Act is? 
Yeah. I mean, I'll do my best. There's so many programs in there, but uh, you can boil it down. Just take one industry. So semiconductors and chips are becoming an absolute necessity in all the smart devices that are being created. Right. And the industry itself sort of migrated where they used to be both like chip designers and foundries. You had TCM out in Taiwan realize that you could probably build a business model that was foundry only, and you could work with places like Intel and NVIDIA to really have them focus on design and then use your economies of scale to create competitive advantage so that you could rapidly invest in the continued miniaturization required to make two nanometer type of chips. And now with that sort of natural market taking hold, you have more chips not being made in the US. And when you have absolute supply chain constraints, it helps you realize both like the risk to our economy or risk to our national security. And so the federal government's really taking the lead and saying, no, we need to rebuild foundries here. We can't just be the designers. We can't have the Apple model of manufacturing. I always say that because one of the largest manufacturers in the world manufactures nothing, right? They outsource <laughs> all of the manufacturing. And uh, some would call that brilliant. <laughs> some, some would call that brilliant. Yeah. If you get to that scale. Yeah. I mean, they're an incredible $2 trillion company. Right. With a 30% net. Yes. But now we're investing, you're seeing foundries being under construction right now in Ohio, Arizona, New Mexico, and it's uh, really a big lead there. And the federal government's also about to release a notice of funding opportunity for another advanced manufacturing institute. This will be roughly $250 million really to advance semiconductor R&D and research so that we're, we're continuing to be at the bleeding edge of research and design, but then layer it on building that capacity here locally. Yeah, it's a really tremendous, uh, and to your point, like to realize a lot of the automotive issue, like selling cars was not about the production of the car. It was about getting the chips necessary to put in, yeah. understanding the different levels or, you know, you talk about like the quantum computing kind of chips versus things that go in, you know, a smart toaster, right? It's such a diverse ecosystem of like who can and where, and who has the knowledge of how to operate these facilities. And so much of it is our knowledge, right? Right. And so the idea of like, how do we bring that a little bit closer to this hemisphere to reduce those risks? Because if we think about it strategically, to your point of like, for us to stay competitive, it's critical that we are staying at the forefront of, and we cannot have that so like it's such a it's it's a it's great that the the federal government recognizes this as in essence a gigantic threat to our ability to thrive and to defend ourselves yeah absolutely and uh it's really exciting but it's also leading to exactly what you said it's we're looking at new ways of manufacturing the automation maybe looking a little bit closer to home from like where we're going to produce these things so and that's awesome thank you for uh explaining that so uh, continuing your journey with m hub right going from like when you said the, the founding partners are all the names anybody in manufacturing would recognize here in chicago right like those are right. the go-tos they're just great at their yeah. job they, so tell us more as, as you move through that journey over the last decade going from that hyper local to what is now more of a global perspective yeah when we first started it was startups that were spinning out of our university system. So 
you know, take intellectual property created at Northwestern. They have access to some of the best labs, best professors, and then you graduate. And if you're a founder, access to that equipment is cost prohibitive. And before MHub, there was no place to continue to innovate and advance your product. I, I look at, and just Northwestern, one of our greatest partners, U of I, IIT, U of Chicago, Purdue, but we had one of our earliest startups that's really just starting to mature. It's called Newcomer. Haven, you didn't mention St. Norbert College. St. Norbert College, yes, of course. The Harvard <laughs> of Northeast Wisconsin, <laughs> as you know. Yes. No, I mean, New Current. So it was intellectual property created for charging pacemakers. And in doing so, they created the most energy efficient wireless charging antenna, wow. uh, which has lots of other applications, wow. right? And that is cool. Yeah, they create the intellectual property. They were one of our first tenants and uh, have grown to now have 50-something employees. They're in everything from cell phones to watches, charging medical devices, looking at building whole charging fields. But had they not had access, the capital cost, the the risk that you a startup in the hardware space used to have to assume just to be able to prove market – eliminated most ability for people to actually participate. Now, M-Hub, you have access to $6 million of prototyping equipment. You have industry engaging, helping to find market opportunity. You have 600 engineers that you can tap into from a variable sense and then keep all of your rent month to month. So everything is variable. It makes it a lot It de-risk startups. Totally. It's allowing them to create opportunities raise capital and then scale more efficiently. And yeah, I mean, because of this resource and uniqueness, we started attracting teams from 180 miles. Like I have teams driving in from Milwaukee to Indianapolis every day just to leverage this. Once we raised our first venture fund and we raised $15 million from 78 investors and then put out calls for real challenges in med device, climate and energy technologies and smart and sustainable manufacturing. And we're getting applicants from around the country. I mean, I think 74 of them are from the U.S. The other 26% are coming from outside the U.S. And when I look at the portfolio of what we've constructed so far, maybe 20% of them have an Illinois footprint. We're pulling more teams mm-hmm. from California or Boston or Minnesota down to Chicago. And uh, it's the perfect place to be. I mean, you have manufacturing supply chain, you have incredible talent, you have now industry engaging for customer opportunities, place like MHub. If we can figure out really the capital from pre-seed to early stage to growth stage, Chicago can be one of those epicenters for this fourth industrial revolution. That is awesome. And the concepts around, you know, there's so much necessary with some of these products that are coming out that you know, things that in the material science space has has changed so much, right? Where that was kind of like an unexciting space, you know, four or five. What do you think has been the catalyst for that? Where like we've read things around, you know, like uh, SpaceX and the X Prize and things like that have generated a, a renewed interest in not just aerospace, but overall, like you mentioned, the, the product that created the IP that generates whole different industries, whole different reinvestment. So what has changed in the like last three, four years that's accelerated this more than than what we had seen even in the preceding 10 years? Again, as an economy, we spend roughly $400 billion a year on manufacturing and technology research. So just a 
absolute tremendous amount of resources, whether it's going into Argonne National Labs to like create the basic sort of fundamentals of some of these advancements to now these advanced manufacturing institutes that are driving it through applied and universities that are driving it to applied. And, and then you have more commercialization centers. But again, let's go back to Apple. Like the cell phone has driven a lot of advancements, the miniaturization of chips, the advancements in battery technologies, the connectivity. So there's low latency between devices to the cloud computing. And all of this has made it so smart devices can be really created in lots of things that were old dumb devices. So <laughs> that you can have access to those chips, you know, put a half a sensor inside something like a colostomy bag. And now you have a smart colostomy bag that limits backflow and can tell someone when it was filled. That's a company that exit for a few hundred million dollars, such a simple idea, but now there's the technology and people have the resources to be able to build and, and address problems at everyday life. So I don't know. Yeah. And we're absolutely blessed here with Fermilab and Argonne and then Northwestern being one of the leads in material science. So I know we invested in a company that uses graphene nanotubes and has a manufacturing process for like actually arranging those so that they point in a certain direction. And by doing so, it helps things like supercomputers dissipate energy more efficiently, which helps supercomputers operate better and reduces energy consumption, right? And uh, that's like taking lots of processes and know-how and overlaying them to create a unique market opportunity. That company is Maxwell Labs. They actually came to us from Minnesota and uh, relocated because of the resources that were here. Wow. Well, and you touched on that before, and I don't know if everybody can appreciate like the value of being able to focus more on the product than building the business, right? Being able to rent yeah. all the tools. Like that's one of the things that cloud from a software standpoint, the democratization that's now possible. And like, you don't have to like have a million dollars to go build the facility, you can rent it, find out what you really need, and then retarget. And the, the ability, what you're providing is the ability to pivot without over-investing in the tools and the infrastructure, the actual organization. It's more, let's test the idea. Let's find out where we're dead wrong. Yeah, It's such a, an important thing because I think more times than not, people focus on the the actual building of the business, not the providing value to the customer. And that's something I think we've talked about before where that's a huge focus for you. We hope it's both, right? Because you have to have a customer at the end of the day and be focused on building a business. And generally, we won't take a founder if they're not focused on commercialization. But I mean, you're absolutely right. Like you can connect with that customer. You can improve your product, run through new generations, adapt the product for the market need. You can scale up your production for the first hundred units, get up to a thousand, and then just in a, what something like 14,000 manufacturers that are contract manufacturers in Chicago to tap in and really scale up your production. Could you explain what a contract manufacturer is? Because I, I know, but I'm not sure everybody knows because what I first heard about, even like a, from a food there's food contract manufacturers. That whole world is is like a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, I in the most simplistic sense, there's like original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, and then there's contract manufacturers. When you get into contract manufacturers, there's tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four type of suppliers. And they're making parts or components and assembling ultimately to sell to an OEM. 
the innovation they generally drive is around the manufacturing process, but you can connect with a manufacturer that's a contract manufacturer as long as they're stamping, plastic jacking, molding, making SM circuit boards. Like there's a lot of competition in the region where you can connect with them. You've already designed the product. Maybe they'll help you design it so you reduce your manufacturing costs a little bit, but they're agnostic to ultimately what product they're creating. It's they they have the backbone to actually make that scaled up production possible. So again, going to that Apple model, you don't need to have manufacturing. You tap into contract manufacturers to ultimately build your manufacturing. Maybe at some point it switches and you want to be more vertical and have that all in-house. And is that traditionally how you see a lot of these organizations progress? They start out where it's like getting a hundred run going like, hey, we got to find out. We get a, a, an amount of like prototypical or prototype level, like demonstrate to clients, demonstrate to the market, see if there's product market fit, Yep. start increasing the the profit, the, the risk, right? And just is that, and then get to your decision long-term, whether or not you're going to, you know, start building your own facilities or things like that. Absolutely. And again, going, the great thing about a manufacturing startup in this they're creating revenue in every step of the way versus putting something out in a freemium or a free model to maybe scale up. But yeah, let's get those early customers that refine your product, scale it up where you can do, you know, with hard tech, there is the ability of also updating overnight, which is a, a new thing with like physical products where you used to make a product build thousands of them. And then that is what was out in the market. If you customers didn't like it, you couldn't update it. Now with the software overlay on everything, you can take the Tesla model where you update your car and uh, all of a sudden it's a new experience, same hardware, same model, but an advancement of the hardware technology. I'm just curious in your opinion, what's been the biggest exit or the most successful startup within M-Hub? Within M-Hub, it's so why? Because we support lots of different companies. I mean, the company that currently has the highest market capitalization would be called Greenlight Planet, and they don't make a super advanced product. It's a solar lamp that charges overnight, provides power and charging. And this founder, Patrick Walsh, has developed distribution channels throughout Africa and uh, is providing light and electricity to places that are disconnected. Well, they raised, uh, I think General Atlantic out of New York provided them with $265 million in their Series C round. They're just under a billion dollar company, but that's a you know clear market need, doesn't need to be the most advanced product, really focus on that customer, the execution and building up a unique distribution center has been pretty incredible. I mean, too, we had a company called Surgical Innovation Institutes. It was out of Northwestern, and they developed a surgical mesh, particularly for women that are going through mastectomies. And it's part of like the materials used to help healing. They just exited out for just around $150 million. And uh, that product was invented there, advanced here, business built here, and then a, an exit out to a strategic. And in our world, mostly most exits are to a strategic. So in the hardware and physical product space, but yeah. And then Sabanto, which they haven't exited yet. They went did a series A at $17 million. And this is an autonomous farming technology company where they're taking old legacy manufacturers and built hardware that make it a smart 
tractor so farmers no longer have to go sit on their tractor to prepare the soil, seed the soil, harvest the soil, and they're getting just incredible yields out of like soy and maize that would be anything a farmer's going to do. So that's one of our most exciting companies that is scaling out. And then like something that MHub hasn't touched but is in our ecosystem, I always say Lanza Tech, which uses exhaust coming off of buildings, captures that, feeds it to certain microbes to create algae, which then is turned into oil. And they're creating jet fuels off of that to new plastics. They just went public via SPAC. They're currently at like $1.3 billion. They're out of Skokie, Illinois. But this is like the type of like very deep science that is going to change the world in taking byproducts and creating jet fuel with it. Like it's just incredible what's happening here. That is incredible. Yeah, hopefully it lowers my cost on my jet fuel. I would really. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> yes. I mean, I've been paying out the nose. <laughs> oh, yes. Awesome. Honestly, this is uh, amazing. Really exciting about what you're doing. Uh, I've been following MHub for years. Really excited about the advancements you're making. The new facility. I'm excited to see it. Shelly gets to see it today. I'm jealous, uh, <laughs> but we'll we'll definitely find time to stop by and make sure other people do too. Because uh, I think it's it's really exciting. This is what Chicago needs to do well, right? This is this is our heritage. This is what we're great at. You know, even in the tech space here in Chicago, so much is like we don't build the coolest stuff, but we do build really impactful stuff. Right. So we're not going to make the things that kids care about, but we're going to make things that matter to actual people. So that's something I think we're all very proud of. So congratulations. We're all pulling for you. If there's anything we can do to help, obviously we're at your disposal. But Haven, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're a super busy guy and it means a lot to me personally to have you on today. Yeah. Thank you, Haven. Thank you both. Hopefully you come out. We'll be in the new facility October 1. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you, Patrick. Our pleasure. So we also want to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32. 